everybody has a different preference when it comes to traveling. This last week, my little brother was graduating high school down in South Carolina, and I only had about four days to, to be able to be down there and spend time with him and the rest of my family. So instead of driving and just dedicating a lot of time to being on the road, I decided to fly. And when I fly, I don't really get anxious of doing so. I know a lot of people do. But one thing that I prefer to do when I do fly is to sit by a window. This is something about being able to look outside the window that is calming, that is peaceful to me, being able to see and observe where I'm at. It gives me a sense of control in a situation that I'm not really in control of. When I'm in a plane, I'm kind of at the mercy of the plane. But this last time, both flying down there and flying back, I found that I wasn't able to sit near a window. But it's all good. It's not the first time that I've ever flown and not be near a window. But this last time is really interesting because I feel like it was the very first time flying where not only I was restricted from sitting near a window, I was also restricted from looking outside the window. And it wasn't anything I did. It was just that the person sitting next to me, I guess, preferred to have the blinds down. And it wasn't just the person next to me. It was the rows in front of me as well. So when I was there on the plane, I couldn't see anything outside. I was just kind of stuck with looking at what was going on inside the cabin. In front of me, there was like this little monitor showing the flight path and how many miles we were away from our destination. And I felt like that kind of tripped me up a little bit more because I'm, I'm watching as our plane is approaching our destination. And I'm seeing how the miles are getting shorter, 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 shorter. So it goes from like 20 miles to 15 miles to 10 miles and then 9 miles, 8 miles, 7 miles, 6 miles. And of course, the, the flight path on the display in front of me had to kind of stop there. It didn't really get down to zero. It was just like hovering around six. And I couldn't look outside my windows. And sometimes when you're descending, unless you descend very fast, it's hard to even know that you're descending. So I just felt like this little sense of panic of, oh, goodness, like, I don't know what's going on. And I like to at least brace myself before we land. And every now and then, the, the flight captain will give some announcements on the overhead. But this specific time, the flight captain wasn't talking. And so here we are, about six miles away from our destination, which means that we're approaching the runway. I can't look outside my window, and I don't know when we're about to land. Long story short, we made it. Everything was fine. But things are different when you can't see outside your window when you're landing in a plane. And it made me think just how much we as people depend on our senses. Our senses are so important to us. We almost worship our senses. What we can see, what we can hear, what we can smell, what we can just perceive and how we understand things. It's very, 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 very important. And when our senses are not able to really give us the information that we need, sometimes we go into panic. We go into just fight or flight. And I was just thinking about what happens when we as people and each and every one of us go through these times. What happens when we can't see the Lord, when we can't see our creator, savior, sustainer? What, what is the ways that we react? What are the ways that we process that when we can't see the Lord working? 
you know, God, why is this going on? And why have you allowed this? And why are you not allowing this? What happens when we can't understand the Lord? Even though a lot of our life depends on us trying to make sense of it through our senses, in the times where our senses seem to be failing us, is there a truth that goes beyond what our senses perceive? This podcast exists as a cry that no matter what chaos you are going through, that we go through, that there's a color that exists outside of this. And instead of leaning into the chaos through our own strength or our own ability, we can lean into the only one that can make us whole. So no matter where today finds you, I want to welcome you to the Color and Chaos podcast. Welcome to the Color and Chaos Podcast. Thank you again for being here. I want to go ahead and jump into prayer, and then we will go into today's episode. One of the biggest honors that I get to have on this podcast is to get to pray with and for you. Your life matters, no matter what you are going through, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what has been said over you. I just want to take this time right now and bring it all to the one who cares. We have a God that is faithful, and we have a God that is present, no matter what we have gone through, no matter what we may feel. So let's bring our hearts to Him and allow Him to do a work and wonder within our hearts, within our lives that only He can do. So here, let's pray. Lord God, just thank you for today. Lord, right now, we just want to bring ourselves to you. Lord, I pray for those that maybe feel like right now that the windows, the blinds of their life are closed, are foggy, and they are having a very hard time sensing you, having a very hard time understanding what you are doing. We look to you, Lord, and we give our hearts to you. Help us respond to you today. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't know if I've given as much thought to our senses as I have within this last week. And not only with the plane and not being able to see outside the window, I feel like the Lord's just been bringing a lot to my mind when it comes to how much we worship our senses. This last week, one of my good friends, she was telling me about this instance with a girl within her family, a little girl. She right now is suffering with some type of illness that the parents, that the doctors don't fully understand what is going on and how to treat it. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's almost like she developed this illness that affects her senses. It was interesting, as my friend was describing, when this child is going through a sensory attack, what the solution is, the solution is to overwhelm their senses. The solution is to put as much pressure as they can to hold that child so close in order for that child to feel secure. When we are having those sensory attacks, I can't imagine what our Heavenly Father is doing in that moment to try to comfort us, to try to help us be able to make it through when we don't know what's going on, when we can't see properly, when we can't hear, when we can't feel, when everything within us is kind of just feeling like it's on panic mode and we are struggling to make sense about where we are at. There's a passage in the Bible found in 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's focused around Elijah. He was one of the prophets during the Old Testament times. 
and he was a person that the Lord did crazy things through. But Elijah gets to this moment in his life where he just gets so overwhelmed by his senses. He starts to cry out to God and feel these feelings that are not true, that are not accurate, but to him, they are so true and they are so accurate. There's a moment in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a chapter right before the passage that we're about to read. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see God using Elijah in a powerful way in this group of people that are very powerful, very influential, and these group of people are worshiping false gods. So Elijah develops this plan. He says, look, let's try to figure out which one of our gods are real. And so Elijah sets up this test. He says, look, we're going to have this altar, and if there's fire that can come down and burn what's on this altar, then we know that whatever God we pray to is the one true God. And so these people say, yeah, sure, awesome, we'll do that. Elijah calls out to God. God sends the fire on the altar, and all of the people are amazed. We see in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah being more confident than ever. Elijah, through this test, he's just very just calm. He's very collected. He even starts to joke with these people, saying that maybe your God is away. Maybe he's using the restroom. That's the reason why he can't do what it is that you're asking him to do right now. You see that Elijah has his confidence, and you see God showing up in powerful ways. God overwhelms the senses of the people that are around him in order for them to know that he is who he says he is. And so you see in chapter 18, this powerful display of God's power, of God's sovereignty, of God's presence. Chapter 19 picks up with the king of Israel at that time, Ahab, responding to what just happened that his prophets of Baal, this false god, have just been executed. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah has done including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent out this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to a town in Judah and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Taking a pause right here, it stands out to me that right now, Elijah is isolated. During one of the hardest times of his life, when he is in fleeing in exile, he decides to do this alone. And as he tries to do this alone, he's just stuck with his thoughts as he's traveling. I think each and every one of us can relate to this, that sometimes as we're going through situations and circumstances, when our senses seem to fail us, they start to fail us the moment that we get stuck in our head. And we're not inviting other people into the process of what's going on in our head and in our heart. And right now, Elijah is in a very vulnerable spot. He has a death threat against him. He's in exile. And he's just saying, Lord, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't understand what is going on. I'm trying to be obedient. And I feel like it's just making me suffer. And I'd rather just die. And he's in this moment that he rests and he says, God, just kill me. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there besides his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. 
So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. It's interesting here that the Lord knew what Elijah was lacking and the Lord provided what Elijah was lacking, even when Elijah did not know what he was lacking. Verse eight, so he got up, ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. One of the very first sermons I ever gave, the name of the title was Don't Forget in the Dark What You Know is True in the Light. And right now, Elijah is having this moment where he's forgetting in the dark what he knew to be true in the light. Just a chapter previous from what we are reading right here, Elijah saw the Lord show up in power. He felt the Lord. He had this confidence in the Lord. But now, about 40 days removed from that moment, he is just struggling to understand what is going on and understand how the Lord is still the same God that worked just a previous chapter before. And this is what it says in verse 9. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there stood a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So, so far right now, we find the Lord asking Elijah the same question. He started out in verse 9 saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he shows Elijah this powerful display, overwhelms the senses of Elijah, and gives him an overwhelming sense of his power, of his glory, and just speaks to him in a soft whisper to comfort him, to remind him that he is secure, to remind him that he is with him. And then he asks him the very same question again in verse 13. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken your covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now... They are trying to kill me too. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way that you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. He gives Elijah some instructions of when he gets there, but there's something that stood out to me of something that he tells Elijah to do. He says this towards the end of verse 16. He says, then anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from the town of Ebel, to replace you as prophet. Anoint Elisha to replace you as prophet. In this passage, you see such a real window into mental health. We see Elijah go from having a confidence, having a sense of confidence within himself, within the Lord, within his senses, 
But then he goes into this moment where he can't sense the Lord. He doesn't have a confidence anymore. And he's starting to rather be dead. Elijah goes from being someone that is able to speak the words of God to right now needing the word of God spoken over his life, over his heart, over his identity. And you see this whole picture of how quickly our minds, our hearts, our senses can fail us. But I love this passage because you see how God meets Elijah in the midst of his senses failing him. And I love how the Lord speaks to Elijah in such a calming way. And even through this whole reality of Elijah's senses failing him, the Lord still gives Elijah a sense of direction. God still had a plan and purpose for Elijah, despite his mental health failing him. That there was still a role that Elijah had. And that God still was using Elijah, even when Elijah felt like God could not use him anymore. God sends Elijah away from this mountain, this powerful moment that he had with the Lord, that at the moment he wasn't able to see. He sends Elijah away still with a plan and a purpose that goes far beyond anything that he was feeling, anything that he was thinking in that moment. Elijah was still called by God, even when Elijah felt abandoned by God. His role wasn't done even when Elijah gave up on his role. And so often when we are feeling so overwhelmed by our senses, we fail to see God and we fail to hear God. But I want to remind you today that the same God who breathed life into you in your mother's womb, the same God is faithful today, regardless of the issues that you were going through. Our God still has a plan in your life. He still wants to use you for a plan and purpose that goes so far beyond anything this world can offer, even when right now you feel like you're at the end of your road. In verse 16, we see that God was not only at work in Elijah, even when Elijah's senses were failing him, but God was also rising up Elijah's replacement. The Lord was still on the throne. He was still in control. When our senses fell us, that is one of the first lies that we start to believe. We start to believe the lie that God is not on the throne and God is not in control and that we are lost and we are abandoned. In the moments where our mental health may fail us, where our emotions may fail us, even what we can perceive and not perceive in our senses, in those moments, we can trust that our God is still on the throne and he is still in control. I wanted to read a quote from one of my friends who recently shared a story of how the Lord met her in the midst of a mental health illness that she was going through. And she had this quote that I wrote down and she said this, all feelings are valid, but feelings are temporary. All feelings are valid, but feelings are temporary. She shared this story of how the Lord met her in the midst of this mental health illness that she was dealing with. And I asked her if she could write out this story, this testimony of how the Lord met her in a powerful way. And I asked if she would be willing for me to read this on this podcast. And she agreed to it. I'm very grateful. And I wanted to read this. And as I read this, I pray that you will be reminded that the same God that worked within this woman's life is the same God that can work in your life or your friend's life, no matter what they are going through right now. And this is what she wrote. She said this. My testimony doesn't start at this hospital, but is when my life truly changed. I had been into drugs on and off ever since I was nine. From ages nine to 13, I was forced because my dad would drug me with his Xanax for my anxiety and panic attacks, but I experienced withdrawals when I stopped seeing my father, 
So I found drugs on my own, like Adderall and Molly after that. I had struggled with suicidal thoughts for quite a while where I would get to a point where I would cut myself and I am really bipolar. So I would get into a manic, irated, bipolar episode. And in those moments, it felt that I couldn't control my decisions. I just wanted a way out of feeling. One night, the feelings got too much for me and I took a bunch of my mom's pills that she took for her cancer, not reading the label. My friend found out and called the police on me, and there were about 12 cop cars and police dogs searching for me. When they found me, I got taken to the hospital, and they said I needed to be admitted into another psychiatric facility. I had been to two, the first time being when I was 17. But this time, I wasn't a minor. I was 18, so I got placed into St. Joe's Hospital with a bunch of other adults instead of other kids. I had my mom bring me a Bible because I started believing in God around 10th to 11th grade, but it almost didn't matter because I didn't really follow Jesus. It was just about me and my feelings, and I didn't understand the concept of giving your whole life to Jesus, so I was still doing everything alone. I wasn't letting God help me, and I pushed him out. It was basically like how the devil knows God is real, but is against him. That's almost what it felt like for me. I believed in God, but I wasn't devoted to Christ. When I was in the hospital, that's when everything started to change for me. There was an older woman in there with a brain stuck at the age of five, and she would talk about balloons because she loved them and had forgotten most things about her husband and family. She would run around the hallways saying nonsense, and she seemed to be so lost when you would look into her eyes. She walked next to me at the end of the first day I was there without knowing I believed in God and started praising the Lord and told me she saw something bright in me. I forgot exactly the words she was saying, but she kept praising God, saying how God was so good. And she said it just as how a wise elderly woman would speak about God. When she was done, she went right back to talking about balloons and the sky just like normal. I knew in that moment that God had to be doing something with what she was saying. I couldn't get any of it out of my head. Probably the third day in being in there, there was an elderly man who was extremely depressed. He had been there for months, and we had a group therapy session together. He walked slow and didn't talk to anyone unless they were the group leaders. His father beat him every time he got less than an A on his test. If he didn't do what he was told right away, he couldn't come up with one good thing to say about himself, even for group activities. We were allowed to raise our hand and to speak and to say something that we wanted to maybe help others. And that is when I said that all feelings are valid, but feelings are also temporary. I told everybody to not make choices based on how we feel because what we feel may be wrong and the consequences of making those choices off of emotions can be so detrimental to our lives. He really liked what I said so much that he spoke to me after the session and I offered to write it down for him. He told me that he taped it to his wall so that he wouldn't forget it. This man was on his seventh electroshock therapy session, I believe, so he was really going through it. After that time, he spoke to me pretty frequently, and after my week was up, he was so comfortable around me, always laughing, a smile on his face. I got him to talk to others, and soon enough, he felt comfortable saying good things about himself. It was astonishing. 
the instant progress was astonishing for the reality that I was only there for a week, but he has been there for months. It truly made me believe that God had something to do with it. I just didn't know why I was experiencing all of these great things around me in such a crazy scenario and situation. With all of the good things that came from being there, there was also times that I also felt that I was experiencing persecution. There was a middle-aged woman, maybe in her mid-30s, who would walk around with papers attached to her shirt, and she always looked very, very, very angry. She wouldn't talk to anyone, but the only person she would say a word to were me, and they were not kind at all. She called me the B word, and she said that I was the worst of anyone there. I didn't know what this meant, but then she wrote me a paper and threw it at me one day and said, this is for you. I read it, and out of the handwriting, you can barely make it out, it said God hates women and children at the bottom. She referred to herself as God in the letter, and that's all that I can make out from it. At that time, I only saw this as her illness. But as I grew, I thought that maybe she had something attacking her as well. I knew very well that this woman needed Jesus. And honestly, so many of us in there needed Jesus. We were all lost and broken people, all with many different illnesses, but we were all the same. We were all sinners. We all had fallen short of the glory of God, and we all needed a Savior. I felt closer to God in those moments than I ever did in my entire life. And ever since then, I came to believe that God was who He said He was. I knew after that that God had a bigger plan and purpose for me than what I had imagined for myself. By the end of that week, we had a table full of people who sat by each other talking and laughing. Some didn't talk and only smiled. This was because I wanted everyone to feel welcome. So I would offer everyone to sit and eat with the friends I made there at the lunch table. I heard so many crazy stories in these people's lives, but we all somehow were able to get along and sit together to eat. Despite everything that led us to this moment, we were here together and we were eating together. The nurses said, that our group of patients were the greatest group of patients that they have ever experienced while working there because out of all the chaos, we somehow managed to come together and make the best out of our situations. I realized that something I can do was bring people together, all different types of people, just like how Jesus brought in his disciples, all different people from each other, but still serving such a great purpose. The greatest part of all this that has happened is that it was in such a short amount of time. I was only there for seven days, and looking back, I think God was showing me so much of who I could be and how my life can help others. After I got out, I stopped taking the pills they prescribed to me and decided I wanted Jesus to help me instead of medication. The meds weren't properly working, and they made me feel disconnected. I wanted to feel fully connected to God, and I knew that those meds couldn't truly do that. Slowly but surely, I grew my relationship with God, learning new things and keeping clean with drugs. I got into a relationship with a man I'd broken up with before this experience, and after many months of changing and growing in my walk with Jesus and the experience I had at the hospital, we got back in touch and we got back together in August of 2020. So about a year apart from one another, and we come back, and even he said I was not the same person at all that he dated in the past, and he still says that to me today, even though I still experience bipolar struggles, but now I know that I'm not doing it alone. I still to this day struggle with my vaping addiction, but other than that, I have cut off drugs fully out of my life for good, and the aftermath feels so rewarding. 
the night that I took those pills, I remember being so mad at God because I prayed and prayed to not go to another mental hospital, but I realized that God was trying to show me something. He was showing me pain. He was also showing me beauty. I experienced both persecution for my faith and miracles that were granted in front of my eyes, things that seemed impossible to happen that I was witnessing firsthand in a situation and environment that I never could have expected what I was witnessing to happen. Without that experience, I don't know if I would be who I am today. I kept that paper that that middle-aged woman gave to me because I wanted it to be a reminder of why I believe in God and why I follow Christ. I wanted to remember why it is so important to not be ashamed of your faith. If I had been ashamed and hid the Bible away in that place after that experience, I couldn't guarantee where I would have been and where I would be today. I'm not sure if I'd be the same person that I am today. Now, anytime I feel sad, anxious, or like I can't do it or get through what is happening to me, I can remember that pain is such an important part of our growth. All feelings truly are valid because when we sit in those emotions and we let them shape us into who we are through Christ, we open up an entire new possibilities of God to work through those feelings and those weaknesses. These painful experiences we go through often can feel like they define who we are, but they also prove that no sin is too great for God. No brokenness is too broken for our God. No amount of pain and suffering is bigger than God. God can take anyone, anywhere, and wash them clean of all that they had in front of them in the start of their struggles. I don't know fully what God had planned for my life, but with that experience, I got a little sliver of realizing that what he has planned is way bigger than anything I can imagine for myself. Heavy heart, I pray that these words will meet us where we are at. The same God that can work in a woman's life at a mental hospital is the same God that can work in your lives despite where today finds you, despite where your senses are telling you and where your senses are leading you. God can use every bit of our messy lives. God can use every bit of our messy lives. In John 16, Jesus mentions that there are moments where we are tempted to fall away. He mentions that the Holy Spirit will lead us, convict us, remake us. And in verse 33, he says this, in our trouble, we can rest easy and take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Heavy heart, we have a God that has overcome the world. And that includes the world that we feel like we are in when our senses fail us. Heavy heart, when you fill in over your head, when your senses betray you, in a world where our senses are what we often worship, even then our God knows, our God is, and Jesus saves. We have a God that can meet us in the midst of our hell and to help lift our eyes towards heaven. I wanted to end with two quick verses. This is what Psalms 43 verse three says, says this, send me your light and your faithful care Lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Send me your light, send me your faithful care. Let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to a place where you dwell. And in Psalms 119, verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. Heavy heart, if you feel lost, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like you are walking through fog, rest easy. We have a God that is a light that pierces the thickest fog and the most dark darkness. 
in the moments that we feel overwhelmed by darkness, when we feel overwhelmed by a lack of our senses, our God is faithful. Lord God, I pray right now that you overwhelm the senses of those that are listening and watching this that feel so much decay and so much abandonment right now. Lord, I pray that those that have words that were spoken over them, those that have things that were done to them, that have kept them in chains, Lord, I pray that you will bring the freedom that you alone can bring. Lord, please shine a light on us. Help us not believe our feelings. Help us not believe our thoughts, but help us believe you. Lord, you are a creator, savior, sustainer, and Jesus, you overcome what overcomes us. So God, we just wanna have a closer intimacy with you. Lord, in that moment, Elijah didn't need words. He needed you. And God, you met him with exactly what he needed. Lord, thank you that you are so patient. You are so kind. Lord, I pray that there's a sense of freedom today. Jesus, we call upon you. You are the only one that saves. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender. Amen. Amen. I wanted to end today's episode with a song by Andrew Peterson. And the name of the song is Shine Your Light on Me. You are not a lost cause. You are not alone. Our God is faithful and he can lead us through the darkest nights and through the thickest of fog. I remember once I broke down in the country. I was 16 with a broken heart in bloom. And I walked home through the pines. Nobody saw me but the moon. By sunrise I could hear the church bells ringing. I got there as the saints were marching in And I sat down on the back row And heard the story once again And the servants of the secret fire were gathered there The embers of the ages like a living prayer And all at once I saw the shadows flee Shine your light on me On me Be a light unto my path And a lamp unto my feet Well, they flew us down to Oklahoma City yeah, but I could hardly stand there on the stage So sick I couldn't speak And the fever wouldn't break But when I stepped up to the microphone I heard it There was the voices of the brothers at my side They were singing out my songs When the song in me
Shine. 